0: News. As the world recoils in horror at the spreading of ISIS's influence and the Western nations are dragged back into their protectorate role in the Middle East, as was discussed in last week's part of the News, Russia is also being shaped and molded to fit its role in the latter day. Russia is the successor to the pagan Roman dragon in the book of Revelation. The dragon is found in chapter 12 where a drama unfolds. In this chapter, a picture is painted of a woman a dragon, and a man-child. The woman who brings forth the man-child is apostate Christendom. Paul had said that the body of believers was supposed to remain faithful to Christ. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse two, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Well, in Revelation chapter 12, the woman is not a chaste virgin, But found pregnant with child. We read in verse one: there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child travailed in birth and pain to be delivered. The dragon appears on the scene and was poised to destroy the man-child. We read in verse three. There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. Well, this dragon is a further development of Daniel's fourth beast found in chapter 7 of Daniel, which equates with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is not successful in destroying the development of political Christendom as the symbol narrative describes. We read in verse 5, When she brought forth a man-child who was to rule over all nations with a rod of iron, her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And so it was that Christendom became enthroned in the political heaven of the Roman Empire at the hands of Constantine the Great in 312 AD. When adopting the Christian God and marshalling the forces of Christendom, he defeated the pagan emperor, casting pagan Rome out of power. We read in verse 9, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Well, the dragon still existed as a military force who would go on to perse- persecute the remnants of Christendom which didn't fall in line with Constantine's religious views, nor submit to his authoritarian power. We read in verse 13 when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, He persecuted the woman which brought forth a man child. And again in verse 17, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The dragon does not disappear, but rather becomes the military power behind the new empire, lending its authority to the rise of this next empire. It's found in chapter 13, when the successor to pagan Rome, the Christian Roman Empire, arose. It began in A.D. 13 tw- or 312 and would continue until finally replaced in A.D. 799 by the Holy Roman Empire. We read how it gave its power to the Christian Empire in verses 1 to 2 of chapter 13. I stood upon the sand of the sea. And I saw a beast arise out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and had the feet as the feet of a bear, his mouth was as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Well, Constantine split the empire in two halves in 330 A.D., creating the second capital in Constantinople where it would rule over the Eastern Empire, eventually to become known as the Byzantine Empire, lasting until 1453 AD, while the Western Roman Empire, ruled from Rome, would only last a short time until 493 AD. The next phase of the western half of the Christian Roman Empire was the Holy Roman Empire, depicted by a lamb-like beast with two horns, again, the dragon's influence is still found in this system. We read in chapter 13, verse 11, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth that had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Well, the Eastern Byzantine Empire would gradually diminish until it was snuffed out in 1453 at the hands of Islam under the leadership of Muhammad II and the, and the Ottoman Turks. The role of the dragon power was transferred from Constantinople to Moscow when Zoe, or Sophia as the Greeks call her, married Ivan III, taking the title and role of the emperor to Russia. Zoe's grandson, Ivan the Terrible, would become Russia's first czar, the Slavonic contraction of Caesar. The ivory throne of the Byzantine emperors can be found in Petersburg today. Well, Russia would continue as the dragon power and is found again during the sixth vial in Revelation chapter 16, working in concert with the beast, or Europe, the modern equivalent of the Western Roman Empire, and the false prophet, or the papacy. All three characters are found singing the frog symphony and calling nations to the Battle of Armageddon. We read in chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon Out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. This unholy trinity is comprised of the dragon, Russia, the beast, Europe, and the false prophet, or the papacy. So, what does all of this have to do with the Bible in the news in Russia today? Well, for almost a century, Russia was under the dominion of ruthless atheistic communism. Yet the Bible painted the picture of a different role, her singing in concert with Christian Europe and the Vatican. All three characters will be involved in the invasion of the land of Israel in the latter day. We read in Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 to 3 from the American Standard Version, Son of man, set thy face toward Gog." of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus saith the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. Well, this is the Russian host, or Rosh as he's called, under the leadership of Gog. He has with him Magog, which is the area of central Europe, Meshek or Moscow, and Tubal, or Tobolsk, Siberian area. With them is Iran, Ethiopia, and the European nations called Gomer. We read in verses 5 to 6, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagarmer of the north quarters and all his bands, and many people with thee. And note the language that is used to describe this conglomeration. In Ezekiel 38 and verse 7, we read, Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. Well, the word assembled is the Hebrew word kahal, and is defined by Strong's to mean an assembly for religious reasons. The Septuagint uses the Greek word synagogue. Combine this with the description of the goal of this confederacy. They want the mountain, the holy mountain of Zion. We read in Daniel 11, verse 45, a parallel account. He shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Their boast is partly the reason for God's response. We read what they say in Ezekiel 36, in verse 2. Thus saith the Lord Yahweh, Because the enemy hath said against you, that's Israel, aha, even the ancient high places are ours in possession, that certain judgments would come upon them. They want the ancient high places in the land of Israel, what we would call the holy places today. Well, Bible students put these pieces together and determined that the Russian host of the latter days would have to be a religious one, Writing 150 years ago, John Thomas, in a book called Exposition of Daniel, stated, The time is not far off when the Latin bishop may have to seek again to the Constantinopolitan imperial autocracy for protection. And by this, he means Russia. Daniel's prophecy of the king requires this, for he is to cause to prosper till the indignation be accomplished. The Pope and one of the emperors sustained by the power of the king will place the Latino-Greek king above all, and above all the mighty who shall be his contemporaries at the time of the end. But for this manifestation to appear, he continues, the Ottoman dynasty must, of course, be driven out of Europe. The occupation of the dragon's throne by a non-Catholic royalty is clearly an exception. The Ottoman has never, as a matter of fact, magnified himself above all, nor has he honored the Latin bishop as a god in his dominion, or shown himself at all a gracious patron of his saints and his temples. The power causing falsehood or false prophetism to prosper must hold Jerusalem at the crisis of the accomplishment of the indignation. By false prophetism, I mean papalism, he writes. Hence, the sultan, the Ottoman Turks, must be ejected that a dynasty patronizing a high priest who forbids to marry may come in. When, therefore, the czar gets possession of Constantinople, he will, not be in, he will not be hostile to the pope. On the contrary, he will honor and acknowledge him and be the enemy of the Holy Land. End quote. Well, Bible students, based on the prophecies... And, reading books like this, looked for the end of the Ottoman Empire, which happened in 1917, and also for Russia to be in cahoots with Catholicism in the time of the end, just prior to the invasion of Israel. A writer named Graham Pierce wrote in 1970, during the height of the Cold War, the idea is put forward by several that the papacy is soon to disappear and be replaced by atheistic superpower. But this is not true. Socialists from the time of the French Revolution have been atheists, as are the Communist Party in Russia today. But the Bible shows that a form of Christianity will hold sway in the end. And he writes that in a book called Russia, Russia, the Vatican, and the Invasion of Israel. Well, this was certainly not the case during the time period from 1917 through 1989. However, in 1989, when John Paul II worked with Ronald Reagan to bring down Catholicism, The whole situation began to change. The Pope has since worked with Gorbachev, Yeltsin, Putin, Medvedev, and now Putin again. This past week, Reuters published an article entitled How the Russian Orthodox Church Answers Putin's Prayers in Ukraine. The article addresses how the Russian Orthodox Church has become intricately interwoven into Putin's Russia. The role of the Russian Orthodox patriarch Krill's resurgent church played in the release of the monitors who were from the OSCE sheds light on how close cooperation between state and church in Russia is now playing out in Ukraine, the article stated. It went on to say that what the Russian Orthodox Church presents as a humanitarian mission in eastern Ukraine Western diplomats see as a pattern of cooperation in which the church is acting as a soft power ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin. The article went on to state, Russia does not fully control the rebels, but it does exercise influence over them, said a Western diplomat in Moscow closely following the crisis. The church is put in between the two to blur that link and avoid having any direct lines between them. A European diplomat in eastern Ukraine said that the Russian Orthodox Church has acted as Moscow's front organization, quote. Well, the Russian government and the Orthodox Church have never been as close since the Russian Revolution. The article went on to state that the Russian Orthodox Church says that it's not a state church of Russia, but it is cooperating closely with the Kremlin under Putin who helped it make a striking comeback from heavy oppression in the Soviet era. The Russian Orthodox Church in Cyril, who once famously likened Putin's long rule to a miracle of God, are active in promoting Russia's culture abroad and strengthening ties with compatriots around the world, helping the Kremlin boost its leverage on a global scale. Putin and Cyril share a vision of a Russian world based on common ideological values, a belief driving their mutually beneficial cooperation, a crusade against a common threat they see in the West. Quote. Not only this, but the Russian Orthodox Church has been growing at a significant rate, as the article states, with about 200 million members worldwide. The Russian Orthodox Church is now the second largest single church in Christianity after Roman Catholicism. Its ties to the Russian government have been growing. And it isn't just an observation from outsiders or newspapers reporters, but a stated fact by the foreign minister. The article states the Russian Orthodox Church's Department of External Church Relations has a working group with Russia's foreign ministry that meets regularly for what Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has called active and constructive cooperation. The article states that the relationship is symbiotic, benefiting both sides. It states that under Putin, the Russian Orthodox Church gets support from the state and powerful oligarchs allied to the Kremlin, while Moscow benefits from its public blessing. A recent poll shows 75% of Russians approve of the Russian Orthodox Church, and more than half value its close ties with the state. The article reflects how Putin sees the benefit of a strong United Church, to his strong Russian influence on the world stage. It says at the 2007 Moscow ceremony, marking the reunification, Putin called the merger an event of truly nationwide historic importance and great moral significance. He added, the revival of the church unity is a crucial condition for reviving or revival of lost unity of the whole Russian world, which has always had the Orthodox faith as one of its foundations. What is also of great interest is what the article has to state about the title of the Patriarch. In commenting on Russia's recent annexation of Crimea and the crisis in Ukraine, it stated the following. When Russia sent its troops to Crimea, one of the justifications it used was an alleged threat to parishes. there linked to Cyril's Moscow patriarch. Cyril's full title is Patriarch of Moscow and of all Rus, a reference to the medieval state in Kiev, to which modern Russia traces its roots. Well, the use of the title Russ takes us right back to Ezekiel 38, where Gog is the prince of Rosh, or Rus, Meshech, and Tubal. Rus is the ancient and original name of the region, especially around Kiev, where it was first Christianized. So, right in the news today, we see the preparation of Russia, or Rosh, to take on the role the Scriptures have indicated so many years before. Bible students have looked for in anticipation. The day will soon be upon us when the drama of Ezekiel 38 will play out and the Lord Jesus Christ will return, restoring the kingdom to Israel. So as we look at the Middle East, we see all the pieces coming together. For the Bible in the News, this has been Jonathan Bowen. Joining. us.